Amen. All right. Well, okay. If you have ever, if you've ever been a child, which I think most pers- most people in this room either is a child or has been at some point, um, if you've ever been a child or you have a child or a grandchild, you're going to be able to answer this question: What does every kid say a hundred times on a road trip? You're on a road trip. What do they say? Are we there yet? Okay. No, we're just leaving the driveway. We're not there yet. We're not even close. And then you say, I'm going to turn this car around, you know, and then you don't turn around because you, you know, but are we there yet? Well, the thing is, we don't stop asking that question even as adults. We might, we may not use those exact words, but we ask in all kinds of different ways, are we there yet? I'm just coming off a week's vacation, which overall was beautiful. Um, it was good. We went out to our family's ranch and, and did ranch where I had the kids out in the pasture picking up sticks and logs, and Sonda was out running equipment, and I was running a dozer for 80 hours. It was beautiful. It was amazing. Um, had a lot of praying time, and, and, uh, and we had some good family time. It was good. Limited cell service, beautiful. Um, but we, you know, we love vacations as a culture. We love vacations, um, and we can put so much emphasis on them that we look to our calendar and say, are we there yet? Is it vacation time yet? Is it summer yet? Is it retirement yet? Is it the weekend yet? I think Loverboy said it best, everybody's working for the what? Weekend. Hey, uh, trivia question, which Trinity staff member saw Loverboy live? How does everybody know it was Gretchen? I don't know. I don't understand. Yeah, it was Gretchen. Gary, were you in on that, or was that before? That was BG. That was before Gary. Okay. She saw Loverboy Live, so we can ask her about how that concert. Everybody's working for the weekend. You get that feeling where I'm just working just to try to make it to the weekend, or vacation, or spring break, or summer vacation if you're a teacher, whatever that is. Retirement. Um, We're on a quest for rest, whether we realize it or not. Um, seems like everybody's tired. You ask somebody how you're doing, tired, tired. And there's a physical weariness that we know about, but there's a deeper weariness in that. There's just a soul weariness that can settle in and no weekend binge watching Netflix is gonna, is gonna re- make you recover from that. There's gotta be something better. There's any earthly thing, any vacation or weekend we, we put our hope in ends up often disappointing. Um, you know, uh, speaking of us being on a quest for rest, a uh, hundred years ago in 1910, the average American got nine hours of sleep a night. Pretty, I mean, a hundred years ago, people had to work pretty hard, didn't they? They worked hard, they worked long hours, but still, the average American got nine hours of sleep a hundred years ago. Anybody get nine hours of sleep on average now? A few people, couple, I see, uh, okay, good, for, that's awesome. I see a recently retired person back there proudly raising their hand. So yeah, um, but now that 100 years later, the average American gets 6.8 hours of sleep a night. 40% of Americans get on average less than six hours of sleep a night. And lack of sleep is linked to cancer, heart disease, car accidents, depression, on and on and on and on and on. We value work so much as a culture that many of us will inflate how many hours we work just so we feel better about ourselves. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I worked uh, 158 hours last week. Well, really? Is that possible? Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, and we inflate that to try to feel better or to find our identity in it. A recent study reveals that those who work 11 hours a day are two and a half times more likely to be depressed 
than those who work eight hours a day. But many of us, we, we work hour upon hour upon hour, often trying to prove that we're worthy, and then what we end up doing is we're running ourselves in the ground. We value work as a culture. Work is a good thing. Work's a beautiful thing. Work is a God-given thing. But we also value, whether we realize it or not, we value rest. If you don't think our, our culture values rest, you haven't gone and priced a new mattress lately. Our culture values quality rest. I walk into the mattress store and I say, no, ours will make it another couple decades. I think we're good, you know. Um, so so we, mattresses are expensive. We value our vacations and our weekends. We vigilantly pursue it in so many ways. You know, our, our, our first day I was supposed to leave out last week to go to the ranch, uh, Ava, my oldest daughter, and I got diagnosed with type A flu. And I don't know what the different types are, but it didn't sound good, you know, any kind of flu flu didn't sound good. And, and so we were down uh, for a day and I peeled myself out of bed after one day down and said, we're going and, and I'm, I'm going to go and we're gonna, I'm going to go sit in the dozer with a flu. I don't care. And, 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 and we pursued that uh, vacation that we, that we had in mind that, that, that we had planned on. But that wasn't the news that I wanted to get. You ever go on vacation and, and you have this perfect ideal uh, plan and you end up being tired, more tired at the end of it than when you were at the beginning. You ever have a vacation that you think is going to be the pill that solves all of your problems? And it turns out worse than a Chevy Chase movie ever could. Jesus offers something better than a vacation. And he offers something better than a new mattress. Jesus offers himself. In Matthew 11, Jesus speaks to people that were weary of life. Weary of religion. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, I think we have it up there. Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Come to me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me. Jesus doesn't offer us a vacation necessarily. He doesn't offer us a new mattress. He offers us something infinitely more valuable than that. Jesus offers what we need. Jesus offers himself. So Jesus offers the best rest because Jesus offers himself. So last week, I'm really thankful that Justin preached last week while I was out, and, and he, he talked to you about Jesus being better than Moses. He, he was in, spent some time in Hebrews chapter 3 talking to you about consider Jesus, set your eyes on Jesus, fix your mind on him. This is the season of Lent, these few weeks leading up to Easter, and, 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 and we're, this is a season where Christians historically have set aside time to just to really ponder intentionally Jesus and his sacrifice for us and our mortality and, and how Jesus is better than, than anything else. And, 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 and so, just like in Hebrews 3, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is better in Mo, than Moses, we're going to be in Hebrews 4 today, in your New Testament. Hebrews 4, uh, the author says that, that Jesus is better than Joshua. Jesus is better than Joshua. So if you remember Joshua, uh, you know, Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt and, and wandered around in the wilderness uh, for 40 years. And what were the people asking all that time they were wandering around in the wilderness? Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet, guys. And, and so Joshua gets this amazing privilege. He gets handed the baton. What, 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 what were some of the highlight reel? I liked uh, Justin's phrase last week, the highlight reel of Joshua's life. 
Man, early on in his life, he and Caleb and 10 other guys got to go scout out the promised land and, and, and they went and looked at the land that God had promised them and, and 10 came back and said, oh, we can't take it. Those guys are too big for us. They've been working out. They've been doing CrossFit. They've been taking their protein shakes and their pre-workouts and we can't, we don't have a chance. And Joshua and Caleb said, hey, God's with us. God's on our side. We can trust him. And, 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 and Joshua continues to be a man of faith throughout the time that we see him. Uh, he takes the baton. He's, he's Moses' aide to camp. He's Moses' right-hand man. Finally, Moses hands the baton of leadership off to Joshua. <coughs> God hands the mantle of leadership on to Joshua, and it's time to cross the Jordan. And they cross the River Jordan, remember, and it dries up before them. And, and then they go to Jericho. Remember what happened? And Joshua's a fighting man. Joshua's a military man. Joshua's a man's man. And God says, Hey, Joshua, send the, the marching band out front and the worshipers out front, and we're going to march around the city seven days, and that's how you're going to take the city. And Joshua's like, that sounds ridiculous, but he did it. Joshua's a man of faith because even though God's word, listen, didn't make sense to him, he obeyed. There's times God's word doesn't make sense to you. There's times you don't agree with it. There's times I don't. But Joshua obeyed God's word even though it didn't make sense. And God honored Joshua. They take the promised land. They get rooted there. They get settled there. Towards the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua 24, the people are up to their typical kind of shenanigans and trust in their own devices. And Joshua draws a line in the sand. He says, you guys do what you're going to do. He said, but as for me and my house, we're going to what? We're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's like, that's, that's great leadership. So I'm not going to beg you to do what, what, what you got to do, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve the Lord. All right, so he's a great leader. He's a phenomenal leader. He's a man of faith. But you know what? Joshua led the people into this new land, this fertile land. And all the way, all those 40 years, ever since Egypt, the people have been saying, are we there yet? They get there. They're there a few days, a few weeks, a few months. And guess what? Their hearts still didn't have rest. They still didn't find the, the rest that their hearts longed for. Grandma was still sick. Marriages were still breaking up. There were enemies all around. Stuff breaking down. People dying. And they're saying, is this it? Just like you at the end of that vacation, you think, man, that was good, but it kind of left me wanting more. The Israelites are saying, is this it? Man, we're not at rest. Have you been watching the news lately? That little piece of land still isn't at rest. Torpedoes and bombs going off. That rest, see Joshua, Hebrews 4 is going to say, Joshua led the people into that promised land, but he could not give them the rest that their hearts hungered for. The promised land pointed to something greater. You know, you can go to a travel agent and you can get a Disney brochure. But does that mean you've been to Disney? No. You, you, you saw something that pointed you there. The promised land was kind of like that Disney brochure. The temple was like that Disney brochure. The Sabbath day was like the Disney brochure. It pointed the way to something, someone so much greater. And the gospel tells us that that someone has come. And his name is Jesus. And he provides a rest that the land, the temple... Joshua, any other man of, or woman of faith, could not provide. So let's read 
Hebrews 4. Keep in mind, Hebrews 3 and 4 quotes a lot, relies a lot on Psalm 95 that we read earlier. And Psalm 95 was written all these years after the wilderness wanderings and looks back on that and said, man, Joshua did not give the people rest. There remains to be a better rest to come. Hebrews 4. Therefore, verse 1, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. Now, isn't that strange that the Bible would say, let's be afraid? That's the opposite of what the Bible normally says, isn't it? But let's circle that. We're going to come back to that later. The Hebrews is telling us there is one thing that you really should be afraid of. And we're going to come back and talk about what that thing is, okay? It says, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Reach what? That rest promised by God. For verse 2, <clears throat> good news came to us just as to them. Who? The Israelites in the Old Testament. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we, have become, for we who believed entered that rest as he has said. As the Bible says, Psalm 95, I swore my wrath, they should not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. So I know this is a lot. Justin pointed out last week, Hebrews is kind of confusing. It is super confusing. But kind of the, the stream of the argument so far is um, uh, that the people of Israel saw incredible things. They saw God do amazing things, right? Split the Red Sea, feed the manna from the sky, deliver them from Egypt, deliver them into the promised land. But they still struggled to trust God. And as a result, a whole generation of them were not allowed to enter into the promised land. They did not enter into God's rest. And so there's this greater rest that's prophesied that's to come later, greater than the, than the promised land. And, and somehow Hebrews connects that rest to the rest of God himself when on the seventh day of creation, he rested. He said, wow, it's good. Everything I've made is really good. And he rested that seventh day. All right, they shall, but, but God said of these people that won't believe, I've done all this stuff for them and they refuse to trust me, they're not gonna enter my rest. Verse, eight, verse six, therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, long afterward, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So all these years after Joshua led the people into the promised land, David, the psalmist in Psalm 95 is saying, there's still a rest to come. In other words, the promised land and Joshua were not the final destination. They pointed towards to that final destination. For if Joshua, verse 8, had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God rested from his. So as we walk through this a little bit, keep in mind that people have been on a quest for rest ever since we were expelled from the Garden of Eden. Why were we expelled from the Garden of Eden? for taking life into our own hands, do our own own, doing our own thing. And that's exactly what robs us of rest today. So Joshua leads the people in the, into the, through the wilderness and into the promised land. They're there a while and they're like, this is really great, but man, we're still not at rest. We're still not there yet. We still haven't achieved this ultimate rest promised by God. So that's where Hebrews 4 comes in. Hebrews 4 is saying to us, 
they didn't attain the rest that God designed. There's something greater, someone greater. All right, that promised land, even Joshua himself is a foretaste of a greater Joshua, greater Yeshua, greater Jesus, greater Jesus to come, who gives a better rest, all right? St. Augustine said it this way. In the fourth century, St. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. There's a reason no vacation, no day off, no retirement, no job, no binge watching a Netflix show. There's a reason none of that ultimately satisfies you. And that reason, there's a reason that nothing less than Jesus will satisfy you. And that reason is that you were made for Jesus. You were made by Jesus. You were made for Jesus. Jesus gives the best rest because Jesus gives himself. So how can we rest in Jesus? A couple of things I'd like to point out. One, resting in Jesus means you can rest in your new identity. So many of us identify ourselves by how much we produce. You ever feel like your value is rooted in your production? We're in a we value as a, as a society, we value getting things, I value, and that's not all bad. I mean, I value getting things done. I value productivity. But that can easily slip into valuing myself based on how productive I am. You struggle with that? It can, it can slip into identifying myself, rooting my identity in my productivity, but your value is rooted in Jesus' work, not your work. Your value is rooted in Jesus' work on your behalf. You can rest in his security. In Deuteronomy 12, we're not going to go there now. Deuteronomy 12, 9 and 10, uh, Moses tells the people, if you keep doing what's right in your own eyes, you're not going to enter into his rest. You're not going to go to the promised land. But if you find that you're constantly doing what you think is best, you will not step into the deep rest that God wants to give you. When Matt is driving the Matt train, Matt does not have peace. Matt does not feel rooted and rested and grounded. I may feel in control, but I'm not at rest. You can rest in his provision. Gretchen has been encouraging uh, the staff to memorize Psalm 121. And, and um, boy, did we need it as a family this last week as we had a tragedy strike. And um, Psalm 121 says, I, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You can rest in his in his provision, that God has good purposes for you. My heart is most at rest when my heart most deeply trusts God. I think if you look at your life, you would probably say that's been true of you. The times in your life that you most deeply trust God have been those times that you've been most at rest, regardless of what externally was going on. So what do we, what's our solution? Try really hard to trust God. No, that's kind of you still driving. Will you ask God to help you trust him? 
Will you ask God to kindle in your heart trust that you cannot conjure on your own? You can rest in Jesus' finished work. What's he say from the cross? It is finished. You can rest in the fact that Jesus has accomplished for you what you could never accomplish for yourself. So how do we enter that deep rest? Hebrews 4 kind of goes about this in a strange way. The first thing, he talks to us about fear and faith. Two important words in Hebrews 4, fear and faith. Chapter 4, verse 1, let us fear. What? That sounds unbiblical. Let's be afraid of something? You know, I'm afraid of some things. I'm afraid of clowns. I'm not ashamed to admit that. You, You know this. Some of you have tried to exploit this fear, and you've gotten exactly the result you wanted to get. Ha ha, laugh at the the guy afraid of clowns, but you're afraid of something. Maybe it's heights, or maybe it's running out of money, or maybe it's, uh, you know, getting rabies or something. I don't know what you're afraid of, but but we have some fears. And we live in a culture, and we have a 24-hour news cycle that really stokes those fears and keeps those fears alive. Um, If you need to be afraid of something, Hebrews 4 tells us what to be afraid of. He says fear that you don't enter into what God has for you. Let's look at verse 2. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Look at what Hebrews says. The Israelites had good news preached to them. Hey, God wants to take you into the promised land. Look at everything God has done. Here's what he wants to do for you. And not only did they have good news preached to them, they saw fireworks. They saw saw the gods of, of Egypt humbled before the God of Israel. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw manna from heaven. And yet, they refused to trust God. Hebrews 3 says, encourage one another, exhort one another in case your heart gets hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If you want to be afraid of something, be afraid that your heart will get hard. Be afraid that you will, that you will be so hard-hearted that you will not trust God. If something needs to keep you awake at night, let that be it. God, don't let my heart get hard. Please, God, don't let plow the ground in my heart. Don't let my heart get hard. Don't let my heart close itself off to you and other people. Verse 2, good news came to us just like them, but look at what he says, it did them no good. So he says they heard good news, they saw God do amazing things, it didn't do them any good because they didn't trust God. So tell me again how you're a Christian because you show up at church when you don't have something better to do. Tell me again How your eternity is secure because you'd rather go to heaven than hell. That's not what the word says. The word says those who are saved by Jesus are those who trust Jesus. The message has had thousands, millions and millions of people in our nation have heard the message and it has done them no good because it was not united with faith. There's tons of people up here that have the gospel down. But is it here? If you want to be awake at something at night, if you want to be afraid of something, say, God, don't let my heart get hard. God, don't let me close my heart off to your work. Don't let me become so prideful and foolish and arrogant that I think that I've arrived somewhere when I haven't. God, keep my heart open. Keep my heart humble. Do what only you can do in there. Fear. 
Not everybody was benefited in the, in, in the Old Testament. Not everybody of Israel benefited from the message. Not everybody got there. You know what? Not all of us are going to get there. There's people that are just sure that they've got it made. And they're not going where they think they're going eternally. I'm not telling you you should sit around and fret over your salvation. But I am telling you, the word is saying, be afraid that your heart doesn't get hard. If you're going to be afraid of something, be afraid of that. God, don't let my heart get hard. Don't let me get arrogant. Don't let me become a Pharisee. And if you're saying, well, I'm safe then, I'm not one of those, watch out. I really hope my neighbor could hear this. He says the message wasn't united in faith. What's faith? Maybe you're floundering at the city pool. And Any lifeguards in the room? Is anybody in here a lifeguard at the moment or have been a lifeguard? Cody? So say you're, you're, you're swimming over at the Muncie Ranch and, 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 and you, you're, you're looking up through the water and you see a glorious beard just dip into the water. And a hand reach out to you. Man, Cody just reached, he just came to where you are. He got on your level. And he saved you. But you had to take his hand, didn't he? That's exactly what faith is. Jesus comes to us. He reaches out his hand. He grabs hold of us. And all he wants you to do is reach out your hand and take his hand. He took the initiative. He's done the work. Faith is saying, yeah, I'll take your hand. I'm not going to drown. I'm not going to do my own thing. One of the ways faith works out in our life and fear works out in our life is we have to create margin in our life to rest. And I am not good at this. But you know, I took some time last week. I didn't rest per se from work, but I rested from this work. And I got to kick around on a dozer about 80 hours and do some damage and and the kids were out in the pasture pulling stumps, and we had, we had a great time overall. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't check my email. Got messages piled up from now till two weeks from now. Man, I don't care. But you know, there were years that I couldn't let a day go by without doing some work because I was so important. You know what that is? That's arrogance. And I lived for years, I've lived for years, refusing to acknowledge that I have limitations. A lot of you in this room are in the same boat. Maybe you pride yourself on never taking a day off. Maybe you pride yourself on working even when you're on vacation. Man, what if instead of bragging about how we work harder than everybody else, what if you could brag about how much you rest? <laughs> what if you could say, man, I'm rested? Wouldn't that be a refreshing alternative to a world that's running itself ragged? I'm not saying be lazy. Work hard. But carve out time to rest. That you're not answering the phone, that you're not catching up on email, that you're not doing work, that you're resting. What's Sabbath about? It's about remembering what God's done. It's about resting in his presence. And, and I'm sorry, but 
I don't think binge-watching Netflix all day is going to give your heart or your soul much rest. You know what happens when I do that? I'm usually just avoiding something. And my heart's no more refueled. If you want to take some rest, we're in this Lent season, we're fasting from things. Man, would you consider fasting from the 24-hour news cycle for a few days? Would you consider fasting from social media for a few days and not comparing your life constantly to the life of other people? Would you consider that? Would you consider giving your soul permission just to take a rest? Rest a day here and there. Apart from Christ, I'll work even when I rest. You know that feeling where you lay in bed and your wheels are spinning? But you know what? It's amazing with Christ. With Christ, you can rest even when you work. He says, come to me. I'll give you rest. He offers himself. He gives the best rest because he offers himself. The third word Hebrews gives us, I know I've run long, but I didn't get to preach last week, so bear with me. <laughs> Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4.11 let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Doesn't that sound paradoxical? He says, work really hard at entering that rest. You know what? Rest isn't going to come floating by and finding you. This world is designed to keep you so busy that you don't ever take a moment to think about who God is and what Jesus has done on your behalf. He says, you've got to strive to enter that rest. So you got to strive to carve out Sabbath days and trust that the world's going to keep spinning without you for a little while. And you got to strive to put your roots and your identity down in Christ and what he's done for you. Faith perseveres. So diligently, passionately pursue the rest that only Jesus can give. All that being said, if you're feeling tired today, if you're feeling battle-weary today, that may not mean you're a sorry Christian it may not mean you're doing this wrong. You know, Paul compares the Christian life to a battle, a race, and childbirth. If, if when Sonda was giving birth to one of our four children, if I had come up, saddled up to the, to the bed there and said, man, why do you look so tired? Ugh. I mean, I would have been knocked into the, next, the, the, the emergency room in the next county. You don't come trotting up beside somebody running a marathon saying, hey, I know you ran 25 miles, but you're kind of looking peaked. I mean, why do you look so tired? Yeah, you're tired. You're running a marathon. You're giving birth. So if you're walking the Christian life, you're going to get tired sometimes. So trust God's provision. Trust God's design. Hebrews 3, verse 12 and 13, last scripture. Take care, brothers, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Again, if you're going to be afraid of something, watch out for this, that there's an unbelieving, evil heart in you, hardening your heart. But exhort one another day after day, as long as it is called a day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He says, exhort each other. Have people in your life that are encouraging you to keep going even when you feel like quitting. There's going to be times as a Christian you just want to throw in the towel. 
There's going to be times as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, as, as an employee, as an employer, there's going to be times that you just want to quit. And that's where you need godly community, people around you saying, hang on to Jesus. Let's seek Jesus together. Let's consider Jesus together. Let's remind ourselves of the cross and the resurrection. Let's preach the gospel to ourselves. You need people in your life like that. The Israelites had community. I mean, they were, they were sharing uh, latrines and food, and, 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 and I mean, they were doing life together in the wilderness, but it was unhealthy community. It was unbelieving and rebellious community. Do you have godly community in your life? Or do you have sick community in your life? If you're feeling tired and battle-weary, it doesn't mean you're doing the Christian life all wrong. It means you're doing the Christian life in a world that's broken. But you need to trust God's design and have people in the battle with you. So stay in it. Faith is evidenced by perseverance. And so there's an element of all this. The band's coming up. There's an element of all this. This for today. God wants to give you a deep soul rest today. There's peace and rootedness and security that you can have in your heart when you know that your help comes from Him, the maker of heaven and earth. But there's part of this rest that's for tomorrow. Because you live in a world that's at war. You live in a world that's not right. And total rest, complete rest, is for a day that's coming. Unbelief kept that generation of Israelites out. Unbelief is what will keep you out. Um, so fix your eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2 says. Consider Jesus, Hebrews 3 says. You know, I was trying to... Uh, Jerry's done a lot of work out at, at the ranch for us and with us, and I was trying to run his skid steer a few weeks ago and, and make a little straight path for him to come through with a dozer and make a better straight path for us to put in a fence row. And way off, a couple thousand feet off in the distance, there was a flag that I was supposed to be aiming towards. But I'm not real good at driving that thing straight, and so I would get to focusing on what was right in front of me, and I would look up, and the flag's moved over there, and I'm way over here. So I'd have to come back, and as long as I would fix my eyes on that flag, I would be moving straight toward it. But as soon as I would fix my eyes on what was right in front of me, I would veer off. You see the application? Fix your eyes on Jesus, and he's going to keep you true. He's going to keep you straight. He's going to make your crooked places straight. Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me. He offers himself. So are we there yet? Yes and no. He offers you rest that nobody else can give. But ultimate rest is coming at a future day. Will you trust him with today?